I want to welcome you to the Pro Mindset Podcast. The Pro Mindset Podcast is all about diving into the headspace that results in championship performance. High-performing athletes, winners, have this mental flow and have a positive headspace for their performances and success. Join me, Craig Doman, sports attorney and NFL agent, on this podcast. I will interview pro athletes, college athletes, football coaches, and sports personalities. Together, we can discover how you can get in the flow and have your own pro mindset. Today, I want to welcome former longtime friend and client, Chris Cooper. I uh, was drafted by the Denver Broncos. Chris, what year? 2006? Yep. 2006. Uh, started a bunch of games, played during the Kyle Orton, Tebow era, and transitioned out of football, and now is the assistant offensive line coach with the Denver Broncos. Chris, I want to welcome you to Pro Mindset today. Thanks for having me. Chris, what what is the what is the mindset you had when you were living in Anchorage, Alaska, and you wanted to play college football, and you and your dad are sitting there trying to figure out how do we get a scholarship? Kind of share with us your journey from Anchorage to North Dakota to the NFL. Um, yeah, so growing up in Anchorage, um, you know, my first sport was hockey. So I grew up playing hockey probably from age 5 to 16 or 17. I started playing football at 8, 8 years old. And I always thought hockey was going to be my sport. I was always kind of, you know, bigger end of the middle of the road, in ter- you know, in terms of size and all that stuff. And, you know, so I obviously like I played hockey until I was about 16, 17, played football all the way through that time, but I was, I was a quarterback, played skill position. And, you know, once I got in high school, you know, played a couple of years of quarterback and then hit a growth spurt, um, kind of ended my hockey days to that goalie, lost all my flexibility because I was, you know, still growing. So I was just trying to figure out, you know, how his body works at that point. And I moved from quarterback offensive line. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I was sitting there at, at 10 years old thinking I'm going to be a professional offensive lineman. I thought I was going to be a professional hockey player. And, you know, all kids, they're going to be professional at something, you know, some sport. Uh, so that was that was kind of the mindset. As we got closer and as I got and started to get some recruiting letters in high school, um, it was all, you know, all based off size. Uh, so I had these, two, you know, I had these two suitcases full of letters. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to go to, you know, Cal. I'm going to go to Stanford, Oregon, whatever. And because we didn't have much experience with college football and no one really did ask questions because everyone's a hockey player there, uh, you know, assumed that I, there was a scholarship coming at the end of all this, which there wasn't. So late in the process, we just, our defensive coordinator was alumni at my alma mater, which is the University of North Dakota, uh, brought our state championship game tape up there. He went to go visit and they started recruiting me late in the process. So North Dakota worked out great for me. I was, uh, a development, you know, developing by size, height, weight, all that stuff. You know, body was starting to catch up, and also I was a blank slate as far as offensive line play goes. So I just kind of learned on the run. And as I, you know, as I grew into like my, my final size range, which was between six, you know, six four, three hundred, three ten. Um, you know, I started to figure out how to play play the position a little bit better, and I had a had a guy in college that was, uh, you know, he had a camp or camps, I think, with the Jets. 
and uh, he's probably about 10 years older than me. He was kind of like a, a host family for me. He volunteered, coach, so I'd do a bunch of stuff with him. After I worked out with the team or practice, and I'd go to his house, and he would, you know, he'd teach me some technique stuff with hands, punching, you know, body position. And then, you know, as the off seasons went on, I I was a little bit heavy coming into college. I broke my my ankle, my navicular bone in my ankle, so I was in a a soft like a walking cast for about six weeks leading up to college. Walk right into the conditioning test, and I'm 30 pounds heavier than I ever have been. So towards the end of my college career, I carried that weight till about my junior year, and then I started working out with him, double doing double days um, in the summer. Uh, trying to get down to, you know, a range where I thought recovery was going to be good. I was my quickest. I was most explosive. And then, you know, as the NFL started to creep in and started, you know, scouting me and stuff. And the only reason I thought that it was legit is because I never saw scouts at practice other than my last two years of college because there's not a lot of guys who come out of North Dakota. So, uh, you know, I had a little bit of apprehension thinking, oh, this is, you know, it was BS because, you know, I went through this in the recruiting process. They're just doing their due diligence or whatever. And then, uh, you know, started getting invites to all-star game, a all, two all-star games. And you were that's kind of when you came into the picture. Then you became a fifth rounder with the Broncos. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's go to being a rookie and coming into Bronco, Bronco facility, Dove Valley as a rook when you've got Tom Nalen and all these big name guys playing for the Broncos, what was the biggest mental challenge you had as a rookie when you're trying to make the team, there's no guarantees you're going to make the team, your goal is to make the team, and you don't get as many reps as maybe you were thinking you were going to get? Walk the audience through that. My initial goal was, you probably don't like to hear this, to make practice squad. I thought, I thought, I'm not supposed to be in the NFL. If I make crack squad, this is a good, you know, this is a good deal for me. You know, I ended up doing more than I thought, you know. And then once you get into it, the vets, I mean, the vets, it was, for me, I just, I tried to stay, uh, not stay away from it, like keep my mouth shut. Because it was uh, it was a tough room to grow up in as a young player because there were a lot of vets, like you said, Tom Nealon, Matt Lefsis, Ben Hamilton, uh, George Foster, they were all, you know, probably four, four plus years and three of them were 10 plus years. So no one was coming in, you know, acting like they were somebody they weren't. And even if you thought you were somebody or you actually were somebody, they were going to tell you otherwise. And, uh, it kind of humbled you. So it was the self-deprecating mindset was kind of where I started, you know, not doubt, but a healthy amount of fear, uh, that you're, you know, you're not going to get your job done or you'll let somebody down. And that, you know, it kind of drives you through, drove me through my whole career because you always get that feeling at some point, or I always did at some point prior to a game. Any, you know, regardless of who you're playing against, any any, any of these guys can beat you on any, any, any given snap. So, you know, my mindset was don't get embarrassed, don't let people down initially. And then once I figured out, hey, I can, I can, uh, I can block, you know, so-and-so, whoever it is across from me. And you, you got to do it to actually get the confidence. And then once that happens, then you start to learn the game a little bit. And then you start to, you know, you start to 
take some of the stuff you see the vets doing and and then you know your mind my mindset changed i made the roster but i i essentially registered that year i only dressed for three games and i think i only played one snap on special teams so uh it was a tough year i'd i'd gone and i'd gotten uh hit the rookie wall which probably hit me a little bit sooner than most because i wasn't dressing for games and i got snapped off by the coach uh he's going through my notes one day and just saw that I had, I kind of mailed in the first meeting. I just wrote our opponent was Pittsburgh, so I just wrote Pittsburgh Pitt on there. And so he he, he kind of reamed me, and uh, that was uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was another. You just get those little those little things you'll never forget along the way that motivate you or push you in a certain direction, whether or not it's to prove somebody wrong or prove somebody right or you know do your job for a teammate or a coach any of those things, but the, you don't get the initial confidence to understand that you can play in the NFL until you actually take a step on the field and are blocking NFL players. Okay, so coach, you're a coach now, and you have rookies come into the NFL, and you're in charge, and you have a lot of hands-on coaching with those rookies. What do you tell the guys that come in in 2020, 2019 that – you wish a coach would have told you back in 2006. It's hard. It's hard to, it's, it's coach, coach speak what, you know, you say like, you know, you, it doesn't matter where you're at on the depth chart now. It matters where you're at at the camp or, you know, you got here. That's part of the deal, but you're going to have to have to start somewhere. And if you start on the lower, lower end, you always tell these guys like it doesn't matter where you start and and it, you can see it come to fruition with some guys you know you, we had a guy this year austin slotman who you probably had in april he might have been the odd man out you know but that's why you go through the whole process of spring training camp austin slotman is a second year player ended up starting two games for us at the end of the year and he played well so you can point to those and say Hey, it doesn't matter where you start, you know, you put your head down and live and work. And that's that's part of it. But more so now with the kids these days is just be seen. Don't be heard. Don't don't step on your tongue because you know, you're trying to project something you're not. Just go out there and work and let your work decide what everybody thinks of you. Which is guy I'm not saying I'm not saying to dull your personality or not be yourself. I am saying like that on hold until you prove that you can do what you're brought here to do. Let your actions speak louder than your words. And I think it's old fashioned, but it always wins is let your work do the talking. And I think today in the social media era that we're, we're in, everybody wants to tell the world what they're having for dinner and what they're doing every day and how great they are and how great their life is and how great their situation is. And I think as a player, it's the opposite. You gotta you gotta really just grind and 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 do your do your job. Yep. And I don't know if you see a lot of the social media presence with your players, but you know it's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. It's just at some point in time, dude, just you gotta play ball. Yeah. And it no, it's it's a big it's a big deal. And I'm I'm not like uh, I don't have an aversion to it by any means. I mean, it's necessary now. You can see you know, there's a ton of guys that are make make a bunch of money they probably shouldn't have made just being an NFL player because they've, you know, taken a platform and 
decided, you know, made, made a, whatever they do, you know, made a little bit more money on a social media platform because of who they portray or what they push on that platform. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you shouldn't do it at all. I think it's a, I think it's a good tool, but the one thing that I would say is you, you don't let, you can't let anybody outside of the building that you're in decide what kind of player you are, how you grade it out. Cause it's, it's all relative, right? It's, it's, there's, there's nothing out there that is going to tell you how you played or tell the world how you played other than what you actually put on the field. So th- those things, when you, those guys, you know, they will get done playing or practicing or whatever, and they, they go straight to it. You know, I might, I don't know what they're putting on there, but you know, my, my suggestion would be to, you know, use it, use it, use a platform for, you know, doing, there's a lot of guys who don't do a bunch of good stuff on it and don't use it for a pump up or, you know, um, a needle on whether they're playing good enough or not. It's just one of those things that you use the right way. And everybody, the society now is, we want everything now. We want everything instant. We want instant gratification and everything. And I don't, football is still one of those games and jobs that you are going to get the instant gratification after a game, but the product isn't finished until you've you know, finished your career. So there's, that's one, that's one part of to segue into a mindset would be, you take all those things you learn, and as you as you go, as your body gives, as you don't have the athleticism you did when you were 24, and now you're 32. There's all those tools that you've learned along the way. You can you can use those to squeeze out another two years, another three years. You can bank on technique and bank on film study, and so so use it the right way. Basically, what I'm saying is don't. There's times to use it. There's times that you can you know. You might be required to use it based on a contract or something, but there are things that you can you can take, and especially from the old school guys that are still around the league, is you you want to pull as much as you can from the guys that you can you know you can emulate, right? And you pull it from a bunch of different guys that maybe you have the same body type, maybe you play similar, but that was that was my mindset as as the career went on was, all right, now my left leg isn't working as well, or now. You know, I came into the NFL with a bad shoulder and I, you know, never hadn't got it fixed to this day. There's just workarounds that you figure out along the way. And I think football is the same. I think initially when you get in, you're, it's hard to learn all that technique and all that. Like there are things that you're going to have to lean on your, your athleticism, physical gifts, and everybody's are different. But as you, as you work years down the road, start banking all those tools that you pull from somebody else or something that a coach told you or and you implement them and then your game has changed from and I thought this too I, I thought when I was in year six which is when I got here I thought I, I've kind of got the a, a good blend of still having the athletic ability still loving to play still loving to study it and also working the game within the game to have a successful snap every snap so whether that be reading up a defensive lineman stance, reading a coverage shell, you know, things that you can anticipate and make your job, the process of your job a little bit easier. Gotcha. So you're one of those few individuals, and there's, 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 you're not the only one, there's many, but there's really not that many guys that have gone to the NFL Combine as a player as well as a coach. Describe yeah. for our audience the difference between going as a player and what you're feeling, what you're trying to accomplish, 
what your fears are, what your mindset is, compared to when you show up representing the Dolphins or the Broncos and you're evaluating those same guys you were 10 years before. Yeah. What I did learn was because of my specific situation, I I did pretty good at the combine. I thought that I thought that I had better number. I thought that I should have had better numbers. So just a like a quick conduit would be those numbers do mean something, but they don't mean everything. So as a player going into it, those numbers mean everything to you because you think, shoot, I ran a I ran a five oh one. I I ran a four nine two in in training two days ago. Like, what is that going to do to my draft stock or so those things that you know you can wear yourself out on and go over the top and overcorrect. I think a lot of that stuff, people just want to see your physical ability and see, see what you're able to do. All the training helps. There ain't no doubt. You know, the training really does help. And there's a little little tricks you can pick up. And But it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not. And that's what I know as a coach. So when I go there as a coach, I'm not really watching the workout. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm not. And this is me specifically. There's a lot of guys who go there because we all are going to get all the information we're going to have from our own scouts that are hand timed. We're going to get from the NFL that is laser. We're going to get, and there's coaches who hand time on their own and record everything on their own. I just really want to, I'd really go and watch and see how, how they do it. Does it look really, really hard on a guy to get out of the stance and burst for 10 yards? Is it really difficult for them to transition in and out? What does that look like opposed to what is their time? Because I think there's more you can pick up, and usually it's it's on the tape after the combine of the coach that I watch and see. Like I, a lot of times, I won't even have the times. I'll just look and watch them and see. Like now, nah, I'll go back and check and see what their time was. Like yeah, that's what I thought that should have been a good time. But the next guy might have a great time, and it looks like garbage. Like it's it's clunky. It's hard for him to bend and transition and all those things. So as natural, I mean, as natural as you can go into that and use your natural ability, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create, you know, positive, positive evaluations because, or negative, depending on what you're, you know, you might have some deficiencies or some things that don't work as well as others, but those things you can't work out. You can't go outside yourself to train for a combine. It's such a, it's such a small blip on the radar comparatively when you go down the road and you're a pro player. Is it, Chris, is it fair to say that when guys go to the combine and they're running the 40, doesn't matter the position. Obviously, the school guys, it's a little bit more important. But they're gritting their teeth. They're, they're, in, a, they're in a position that's not sustainable. It's not repeatable. It's not something right. you can do 72 times in a game. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, what I you mean. almost, right? And so what happens is, man, that clock time looks really good. But, man, now you put on pads and a helmet and you've got to buck somebody, tackle somebody, catch something, or whatever it may be, you can't do that. Yeah, we see it uh, We see it every year now that I'm in coaching is when we actually get the player, and it's springtime, and there's no pads on their shorts. And I'll speak specifically to the offensive line, is that there's guys in, in shorts and, and T-shirts, they're out there blocking the best we have in April. And And – they're doing it in May. And then, you know, you'll fast forward to training camp. Some of those guys start to get marginalized. So, you, you know, I don't know what we call them off-season 
off-season All-Americans or, or whatever it is, those guys, the guys in shorts that can do it. But that's that's really where I see what you're saying. I see that transition in the offensive line to, oh, now this guy's been marginalized because we got pads on. Now he can't sustain a block. He can't do this and that. And so there's plenty of that. Okay, so let's go back to the underwear Olympics as well as, like, training camp, preseason, and this season. What is the guy that, especially with offensive linemen, since you played with a bunch and you, you are an offensive lineman and now you're an offensive line coach, what's a guy that tricks you, meaning you think he's going to be good and he doesn't end up being good? And then what's the opposite? The guy, what, what's the characteristics of that guy that constantly suckers you compared to the guy that perhaps you're unimpressed with, but he's the yeah. dude that ends up being the baller? What's the characteristics of both of those different types? Because both of them, are, they're similar in the sense that they trick the coach. One the right way, one the wrong way. Yeah, I think the easy one, the easy one to point to is those guys who are the, you know, the freaks, the body freaks, the speed freaks, strength and all that stuff. You know, you can, you'll see like wow plays and then it's going to be a lot of, dull, you know, dulled down, unremarkable plays. But then, but you, you'll you'll see those like they call them flash plays, I guess, where they they just molly dude, or, you know, or make a cutoff or a you know pass block that's like wow that was a really good recovery or so you're like all right, he's got all this physical ability, it's not all on tape, but we're gonna get him, we'll pull it out of him, and we'll we'll get it figured out to where it's you know he's playing at that wow level or flash level more than he's playing at that dull dim level. And um, and then the the opposite would be is usually the guys that are not that don't look great in shorts and t-shirts and those guys are the ones that you know they struggle um, without pads on and you can't you can't say like oh yeah when we get pads on this guy's gonna be way better because that's you that's usually not the case but sometimes it is the case and sometimes the guys who like. The day before, you know, he got beat because he was he had a bad body position in this block. And you correct him on the block. He gets the same rush. He makes the correction the next day. And those are the guys that you surprise you. Those are the guys that are going to continue to do that and are going to continue to learn and take things from guys and coaches and the stuff that shows up right away, the fixes that they make. Those are usually the guys that are that surprise you on the positive end. The negative is usually the guys that have overwhelming, some kind of overwhelming trait that, you know, all coaches think that we can, we'll be able to get it out of them. Sometimes it's, sometimes there's, there's other variables that you can't control that end up letting you down. Well, what you just described for the guys that positively surprise you is that they've got a growth mindset. They're, they're, they're focusing on getting better every day, every rep. They're listening to their coaches, and they're taking that, that coaching and adjusting their style of play, adjusting their, their technique, adjusting their mindset even, how they look at, you know, how to tackle, how to handle or attack a certain play or pass protection or one-on-one drill or whatever it might be. So I think that the thing that I think that, that I've seen – for doing this for a long time, is that I would break the guys into three groups. And I'm assuming that they all can play. 
the one group has so much athleticism that they never had to do technique. So when coaches start coaching them, candidly, back in college and high school, they never listened. So they hear it, but they don't apply it because they can't, they, they just can't process it. They don't need to, yeah. They don't need to. They don't know to. So for those guys, those guys top out, even though on the athletic spectrum, they, they're the winners. But they, when they start getting older and they start losing a step, and that's when they're done. They, their career comes to crash in and quit. Yeah. Then you got the yeah. guys in the middle. Go ahead. No, no, I, I was just going to piggyback off that. Is that that's 100% true. And that a lot of the times, and you even see it in the NFL, those uber-talented guys that they don't get coached in high school, they don't get coached in college, and sometimes they don't get coached in the NFL. So when you start to coach them and, you know, give them feedback or, you know, positive or negative, whatever it is, because it's all, it's all part of the process, yeah, they, they've never they've never had to take that feedback or use it. Well, now you're playing against the equivalent of you on the other side of the ball, and you're trying to block him. Now your talent has been marginalized. Now what can you do to sustain and win the majority of your snaps? Well, if you haven't if you haven't picked up or listened or implemented any of those techniques or you know whatever a coach is teaching, you know, it's going to be hard. It can be hard to do your job especially in the NFL. And then the, I agree. And then the second group are the guys that have a lot of athleticism. This is probably you. You had a lot of athleticism, but you yeah. weren't, you weren't, you know, you weren't that freak. No. And because you had a lot of athleticism, you were able to do a lot, but you also were extremely coachable. Yeah. So that's the guy that can go to the Pro Bowl. That's the guy that can do it for a long time unless he has some type of injury or something that short circuits his career. That's the guy that I want on my team, even though everybody's looking for the left tackle that looks like, you know, Tarzan and, and plays like Tarzan. But most yeah. Tarzans play like Jane. And then the third group are the guys that don't have enough athleticism that they have to do everything in their power to do it the right way. So their, real, their careers depend on their coaching yeah. and their opportunity. Yeah. If they don't get good coaching – and they don't get an opportunity, a lot of times they live on the practice squad until they replace them with somebody else. Yep. Or they might be, you know, the seventh man dressing for a game, and you hope you don't have to put him in. Yep. But then he gets put in, and he might play 10 years because he does everything right, because he listened, he soaked it up, he applied it, and he takes care of his body. He's not the guy that's, you know, staying up late, drinking all the time, living a crazy lifestyle, because he can't. Because right. if he does, he's not going to make it. Yep, and I was on that. I was at, on that end of the spectrum, as far as that goes too, because I was always the nervous. Like, I'm not doing anything but football when football is when it's football season. Even in the off season, I was always like that. I had played with guys, but I thought they were better players when they when they were living on the edge. You know, they were out drinking until three or four in the morning, and then they'd come in on Sunday and you know have 14 tackles and a pass breakup and three of those are tax loss. Like there are guys that are uber talented and can, can do all that stuff. And then I think them living at that red line all the time bodes well for them on the football field, whereas probably 95% of the population that would never work for it. It'd never be sustainable. It'd never be able to play in the NFL, but there's a few of those guys in the league that can do that. Well, I would, I would say that 
you know, I'd never thought about this before, but the way you just described it, it totally clicked in my mind. There are some guys that are bored. In fact, they love music more than football. They love other things more than football because football comes so easy to them. That when they have these distractions, when they challenge themselves to say, you know, stay sober and be on, they can. And they perform at a very high level because they're not bored because they've been able to do these other things to kind of spice up their life. But very few guys like that. And as a head coach, you don't want your leadership to be all those guys. You want that to be the Right. Typically, those guys aren't like your. And if you're on a good, if you're on a good team with good leadership, typically those guys they might be your best player, but they're not your leader. So usually the leaders come from had to had to do it a different way, probably more the way that I had to do it because they can speak to everyone, and and it'll make sense to everyone because you know they had to work. It'd be like. Champ Bailey or Von Miller telling someone, Von telling someone how to, how to get a sack. Champ telling someone how to cover. You know, those guys will have, have issues telling somebody how to do it because the, my body just doesn't work like that. I can't do what you just told me to do. So there's, those guys end up being like peripheral leaders. Not Champ. Champ is special. Von special. I'm just saying that, you know, there's, there's guys in the league that maybe your best player you probably point to them as a leader. There's usually a, another guy who's like the locker room leader, you know. And it just depends the makeup of the locker room and the makeup of the team and franchise. It, it just it depends on how the roster is built. Well, let me ask you this: When you are going to Indianapolis and you're or you're going down to Mobile to the Senior and you have a list of offensive linemen to evaluate, how much different is it evaluating a left tackle to a center to a right guard, and what similarities do they have to, what uh, characteristics do they need to have in common regardless of where, where they line up on the field? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd always have, and I think all coaches are different or they have like a different trait that they look for, but I would say like the, the bottom line. So I guess to your point, when we were talking about the different makeups of different guys and that, so offensive line play is very, very different to the rest of the game. There's a lot of things that, Offensive linemen do that, like you can get it done physically, you can get it done with technique, you get it done with a combination of all those things. So if you look at tackles, I I would look at there's length, right? Tackles specific, in my opinion, length, arm length, length in general is is like a you know there's about minimum standard, and then then you kind of go down if, if he's if he's got if he's not hitting the marker on the length, all right? Well, does he have another? Does he have another characteristic, or characteristic or quality that overcomes that? Is it bend? Is it strike? Is it uh, foot quickness? Is it, you know, does he shave the angles better to where that doesn't show up? So, you know, tackles really often all offensive linemen like you want to look at suddenness in their body. Are they can they generate power in, in um, from the ground quickly? Uh, or are they plotters, or does it take them a little bit to work in the block? And all these guys can play in the NFL, but do they have those other characteristics to make up for? So when I say suddenness, I just explained that bend and uh, you know length of tackle, and then and then you start to and then you start to go through. Well, what what does he have that makes up for this deficiency 
you know, can, is he going to be able to play in the NFL with that? You know, he's got 32 inch arms. Uh, he he's he's really quick in the blocks though, so it doesn't show up, and he's he's really good with hand timing, so um, his length doesn't show up negatively, right? Is that going to be able to? Are we able to transfer that to the NFL? And then you look at guards, and it's different for every every offensive line coach, every scheme, and all that stuff. Guards they have to be smart, they have to be able to process, they have to be able to make quick decisions. And this center falls in this category as well. And you look for all the same things, however. Length isn't as important to me as long as as long as he's got a redeeming quality that's going to make up for it. And I think a combination of who you got playing together. So if if there's you know a center that's super smart, athletic, can move, lacks some of the length or or one of those other qualities that we look for, what if the two guards don't have that? Does that make him a better player? And a lot of times you can say it does. You can find different combinations that for whatever reason work better and our line plays better. That's what that, I mean, that's, that position group is, is really specific in terms of being non-specific. Like there's a thousand different body types, a thousand different ways you can get the job done. I've seen it done and I've done it. So, um, yeah, like I said, there, you know, those two or three baseline things and, you know, even more so now is the competitiveness. Are they showing, are they straining on every play? That's when you see that it's almost like oh this guy plays hard which sounds stupid but it's hard to find a guy that plays hard every snap now. That's a fact. So let's let's look when you're looking at college film. Well, let's just go to Power Five. It, let, let's even go Big Twelve, Pac Twelve, where they throw the ball a lot. Yeah. And they're in a spread where the quarterback a lot of times is told where to throw the ball and it, it's just there's no real pocket and they don't have to sustain pass protection. How do you evaluate a player in that situation? Yeah, look, that's really hard. What you do is you, you're trying to find all those, those um, physical characteristics. And so I say, you really got to go through all that. You got to go through a lot of tape, really. You got to go through a lot of tape to see, Oh, he can do that. Just because the way that this D lineman moved, and the way that he had to execute this block, you saw one of those, you know, one of those little characteristics you're looking for show up. And then now you're projecting. And you're you're projecting all the time, college to pro. But obviously, you know, if you if there's an offense that's run more like a pro offense, then you you have an easier job projecting. So what I've what I've done, and I'm not saying it's the right way because I'm new to this. Is I'm, I just go through the tape as much as I can to find what I'm looking for. If I don't find it, I don't find it. It's not tape. So then, then you got to go another route. You go through, you know, the combine workout to see, you know, does he have? Can he bend? Can he do this? Can he do that? Um, Hang on a second, Chris. You keep saying bend. You know, for the average fan, I'm not sure what the, uh, flexibility, the average fan. Sorry, yeah. That's okay. So flexibility. What does that mean, though, in in terms of doing your job as an offensive guard, offensive set, whatever it may be? Yeah. At guards, I look at ankle flexion a lot. Ankle flexion, and it might be just because of me, how I was made up, and and what it, how it negatively affected me when I did have the um, ankle restrictions. Injury. Yep. Yeah. Because what I learned as I went through this until I was done playing was I was never the really the strongest guy in the weight room. I wasn't a good weight room guy. I was really good at dynamic lifts, like power clean, where there was 
you know, a movement and you're moving the weight. You're not, it's not just squats. It's not just bench. Like the static stuff I was not good at. I was just, you know, middle to lower end on that stuff. But the more dynamic movements and the more dynamic lifts and stuff I was good at. And a lot of it had to do with how flexible I was and ankle flexion was a huge part of it. I was able to, I was able to absorb power quicker, faster and work out of it. And, you know, my arm length was fine. My strength was okay. But those, the ability to bend in my hips, my waist and knees, really the ankles, I thought was, was super important and ended up making up for some of the other shit that I couldn't do. So, yeah, when I look for, when I'm saying bend, it's one of those, you know, is he, is he stiff in the hips, which is a problem because, you, you know, you gotta, eventually you have to roll your hips into a block. Like, that's where you create power. But as you go lower on the kinetic chain, can he create it from his knees or his ankles to take that, that hip impingement out? Like, that doesn't matter because he's got really good ankle flexion, power, and he can create it in another way. So that's what I'm saying when I said bend. It's it's really a you know three three or four different ways, and then is it functional? Right? Because you can you can go watch the guys bend at the combine, and they can drop their ass to their ankles, but you might not have like the suddenness to really create space and move people. What happens to a guy that like you did this? You play tackle in college, but your profile your prototype, your, your measurements are more consistent with being an inside guy. Yeah. What, what kind of, what are the key indicators for a, a college tackle to be able to play guard? And what are some of the key indicators that show you that he can't? Um, and this is all projection. Yeah. I think it's usually those two things, the, the suddenness and the bend, but processing overwhelming, overwhelmingly the guard. That's when you got to talk to the guys. You got to, you got to, push them and test them and see how quickly they can process are they are they making good decisions when it's crunch time right so that that would be that would be first and foremost but you can't really get to that unless you talk to the kid so if you're just watching the tape then i think it's um flexibility suddenness quickness they usually have length already at tackle right so yep. that that's helpful at garden um you know we drafted dalton riser this year and I never really put that much um, weight into how how long a guard's arms were because I didn't think you absolutely needed it, which you don't absolutely need it. But a guy like Dalton Reisner, who he did have to project inside, now I've gone through a whole season of watching him and how much his his arm length helps him. Whereas you might get another guy who doesn't have that arm length might be able to execute the same way, but that's just one of those redeeming qualities that you're not going to lose. Like he's, his arms are always going to be that long. Let's talk about Dalton for a second. He was a second-round draft choice for the Broncos, came out of Kansas State. I believe he might have been a right tackle in Kansas State. Yeah. How, how difficult is it for a guy from the Big 12 to go from tackle to guard, go to the NFL, and start as a rookie? Um, yes. It's, there's probably not a lot of guys have, have success with it, and especially the, the success that Dalton had. Uh, but that had everything to do with um, Coach Munchak really pushing – to get him in on a visit and talk to him. And, and then I, you know, I got to watch Munchak, you know, really work him and see the kid process quickly, confident, sticks to his guns. And, uh, you know, he did a good job with that part of it. And that was kind of what sold us on it. Cause it was, he obviously, he's a tough kid. 
you know, he's a captain there. He loves football and he's a great person. Like the, all those things were like, you wouldn't get that off the tape. You know, you have to meet, meet a guy like that. And then you see like, oh, he's made up of, of the right, of the right stuff. And if, if he fails in the NFL, it ain't going to be because he doesn't try hard enough or any of those things. Like, some something else has to happen because you already know the makeup of the guy. He's going to work his ass off to do everything above and beyond what you ask. And he's, he's, he's kind of a special kid and special situation that worked out positively for us. Let's get to Miami. Talk about one of the guys there that either panned out and you didn't think he would or didn't pan out and you thought he would. And what was the – what was the what were the facts? Um, I mean, the pan out uh, easy one to point to would be Laramie Tunsil panning out. Um, one of those guys that you know was in those offenses. It's hard to project, uh, and he kind of fell in our lap. And you know, we get the kid, and some of the things that we, you know we did a little bit of evaluation on, but we thought he was the the top pick, the first overall. We weren't picking until twelve. So we had to, you know, we did him just to compare him to the next, the next uh, level of tackle. And then, you know, when he falls to us, it's like, okay, now, now here's the work. So the kid starts at, he ends up playing guard to start with, which set him back a year, basically. So there's really, there's not much other than him getting a play, which was positive. He got, to, he was a starter and he started left guard playing next to Brandon Albert for a year. But, you still didn't really know what you had other than the fact that he was a freak athlete and had freak movement skills. He's a guy that, you know, you weren't sure, I, even after year one, is he going to be able to play left tackle because now he's he's created some habits at guard, which with a special athlete like that, he's fine doing that, you know, inside, where the thing that surprised me the most was how how strong he was. Because he, he's a higher cut athlete, looks kind of like a basketball player, but he is super wiry and strong. And with the foot quickness, it's you know, he does pretty pretty special makeup. Not he hasn't, you know, made the Pro Bowl for the first time this year, but he's one of those guys that, you know, I came in four months before he did. We developed a really close relationship, and. You know, I worked with him on a daily basis and, you know, still talk to the kid to this day. So he's one of those guys that you still weren't sure, even though he was picked where he was picked and how high he was picked, uh, there was a lot of factors where you're like, you're not sure that this kid's going to pan out. I think there was a – he was under the microscope too because of what happened on draft weekend and, the re, you know, the reason why he fell and you guys got him. There's, you know, obviously a lot of media interest in to see how he pans out. So if he could have gone a little bit incognito with the media, I think his career would have got off to even a faster start. Because I think one of the things that's happening today that didn't happen 20 years ago is the media scrutiny and the media access to every single player. And the players have to be available. And it's it was, you know, it really got – uh, the, the heat got turned up a little bit when NFL Network was born that yeah. these guys, they can't hide anymore. And so they can't just go to work. The average Joe can go to work, go home, yeah. be a dad. An NFL player has got like almost a bipolar personality. 
because he has to do his job. He has to be ready for Sundays. He has to be ready for practice. He has to have a connection with his coach. He has to know what he's doing. And at the same time, he's managing his social yeah. media and, you know, Fight, personality. Fighting, yeah, fighting all the pundits, fighting that, yeah. Dude. Yeah, and that happens to coaches today now that didn't happen before. So, it's you know, you're seeing a lot of coaches in the league now being one and done, two and done. That was unheard of, you know, a couple decades ago. Which, and, yeah, which is, it probably should still be today. If you hire a head coach, you should give him minimum three years to get. At that point, you don't even have you know, a draft of guys that are doing what you want. I would say three or four minimum. Yeah, and if you're going to invest, yeah, if you're going to invest, you know, if the owner's going to invest the money in a coach, give them four years and just understand there's going to be some bumps in the road. You're not hiring a new coach because everything was going great most yeah. of the time. So, you know, with the media scrutiny and just the exposure that the players have, it, I think it makes it harder to coach and I think it makes it harder to play. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. And, you know, you, I assume now you have to have, you have to have some realization that it's going on, but I mean, it was starting, I mean, the social media stuff was starting up when I was still playing and it obviously wasn't as big as it is now, but I was completely oblivious to it because I never had any, didn't have Facebook or any of that stuff, but now it's gotten, now everybody has access to the film too. So now everybody's a professional coach and their opinion is blasted to millions of people, right or wrong, it's, it's out there. And that's another thing that guys have to fight. Well, let's talk about something that happened to you. You said it in year six. You looked down and your your ankle's going the wrong way. What was the hardest part about recovery? Um, I guess the uncertainty. Um, you know, it, with my situation, it was, you know, I, I ended up having to get another um uh, Re- revision reconstructive you know to basically redo everything that had been done prior because I got a bone infection so on top of that you know it was it was trying to work around now now my left ankle doesn't you know it only flexes to about 40% of what my right ankle does how does that affect me how is there's just little things with injuries where you assume that right, a guy goes to rehab and then you know he gets put on the field so you assume he's 100% well most uh, me specifically, I always needed the. I never took off time in the off season because I always, it was always work for me to stay bulky, you know. So that's one thing that was missing my last two years playing because every year I was coming off of the training table right to practice. I didn't get the off season of actually training my body, the rest of my body. You know, I was always working specifically on my legs or my core or you know things that had to do with my ankle. So, yeah, it was, I mean, the, the being in the training room, you know, never really being hurt, like I've never really been hurt like that, but being in the training room all that time and then going right to the field and, you have, and trying to figure it out on the run was the hardest part. I think one of the other harder parts was you'd become a captain, a leader of the team, and all pro consideration, and now all of a sudden your career is going in a different direction because you're just trying to to hang on, trying to get yeah. back. You're trying to figure out, okay, is, is this what I'm supposed to be doing anymore? And you have all these new pressures that you didn't have prior to the injury. So, you know, I thought you gave gave it a unbelievable effort to come back. 
but it was just one of those injuries that really did change the course of your career because how old are you now, Chris? 37. 37. So you would be done either way, but there's a chance you could have played, you know, five more years. Sure. And, yeah. And I, I, I mean, we obviously had this conversation when I was going through it, but I mean, there were, I, I, there was a chance. I mean, I could have stuck it out and tried to chase that minimum, go in other places. I was fortunate enough to, you know, be in the same place for eight years. And like you said, be a captain here for three years. And I kind of, I mean, that, that made more sense to me than, than going and, and trying to continue the career where I, I felt like it was going to be, I'm going to be fighting this thing the whole time I'm playing it. And then, you know, whatever I got to do to get through pain and all, just all those things. And then you factor family, you know, two kids. Now I have four, but two kids at the time moving. It just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And I might've, I might've shut it down a little bit faster than a, you know, a typical player in my position, but I feel like I was enough to the point where I, you know, that, that wasn't something I wanted to do. If you're, if you're a dad, you know, you have a very close connection to a young man. And let's say he's an offensive lineman in college. Knowing what you know as a player, knowing what you know as a coach, and they have so many temptations, so many options, video games, girls, fun, fishing, hunting, golfing, everything else. Is it really worth it to play in the NFL? And if it is, how do you focus your mind so that you can maximize your opportunity? Um, yeah, so I'd say obviously you're you're going to have some of that the way you brought you, the way you're brought up is going to have you know have some of those qualities or you know the the ability to put your head down and you know, not get distracted by stuff. I'm not I, I'm not saying I didn't do that shit. I mean I did. I had fun in college, and um, I had fun to the point that I knew where I couldn't have fun. You know, I couldn't have fun two days. I couldn't go out drinking two days in a row, you know, and I'd go drinking once. You knew your limits. Right. And I knew that I don't, rec- you know, I don't do this well. I don't recover well, on, you know, when I'm you know, drinking. So you have to – it's a learning process like it is in the NFL. Like, you, you have to learn how do you operate best, what – and for me, I can only speak to myself. Was I was probably um, a little close-minded on that stuff. So I, even the off-season stuff as a as a pro that they offer the free, you know, you can go do like all these different boot camps. In my mind, I was uh, in my mind, I always thought, what's the point of that? And right or wrong, it, it's just how I am built. I just thought this is this period of time if you are going to play in the NFL you have a shot play in the NFL you want to do it the period of time to do it is very small and why would I go try and learn how to be a broadcaster when I haven't gotten to a point in my career that I should be able to leave and take a job it, did, it didn't make sense to me to do any of that stuff and I didn't make I limited distractions to the point where I was probably an asshole um you know I'd not a whole bunch of dinners out or families in town. I'd, you know, unless it was like a Friday, I kind of ignore them. Uh, I'm not saying to do any of that stuff. I'm just saying you have to find the, the the way that you know that you are operating your best self. I guess your best as a player, student, any of those things. I don't think there's a right way to do it. Like I said, when we talked about throughout the podcast, there's different ways guys have done it. But for me, it was there ain't anything else. 
to be concerned with other than, you know, your family. But if, if you have this time period and you're allotted, you've made it to this point and you have a chance to be an NFL player, why wouldn't you just sink everything into it? Amen. Um, I'm going to kind of restate what you said and what I heard you say is that it's individualized and everybody's got to make their own decisions about how they approach this opportunity of playing in the NFL. But you got to know what works for you. You have to know your limits. You have to know what you can get away with. You, you know, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. If it looks a certain way for someone else, it might work for you too, but it might not. Yep. And you got to find your own way. Yeah. Okay. Last question. You had the, I'll never forget this. You went to a draft party with Kyle Orton. Then I don't know what year this was. And uh, they took 2010. So they drafted Demarius with the first pick. And yeah. you guys were leaving and the crowd went crazy. So you guys went back in to see that, you know, Elway had traded up to take Tim Tebow. Yeah. And I happened to be at Bronco at mile high when the Broncos first put Tim Tebow in the game and the fans are chanting for him and Kyle Orton's wife, maybe his girlfriend, but it, his, his, his lady and, his, his, wife, and his, yeah. his dad were sitting like two seconds away from me and they got up and left when they put, when uh, coach put uh, Tebow in. Yeah. And then I remember the offense just being abysmal. And yeah. you guys went to Kansas City one time, and I don't I, – correct me if I'm uh, wrong. If I'm wrong. Two for eight. Two for eight, 50, 59 rushes for 300 – or 299 yards, and I think Tim was two for eight with a catch and touchdown – or two for eight with a completion and a touchdown or something like that. Well, I remember the three and outs. Wasn't there like a dozen three and outs or something? It was crazy. I mean, yeah, we were – they knew we were running the ball. We knew we were running the ball, and it was uh, Romeo Cornell's that old school three four defense. So, yeah, I'm sure we had three outs. We had a lot that season. I I actually just read something that Baltimore is the only other team to rush for more yards than they throw for. The the last team to do that was eleven. Uh, the Broncos in 2011. I just saw that stat. So, yeah, there was a. That's actually one of the years. 2011 was one of the years I was more proud of. And I know, I know we're talking about 2010, but, you know, it carried on in 2011. Well, share for our audience, you know, Tim Tebow's kind of faded into the uh, landscape a little bit, but when he, he had some magic to him, what was it about him and his mindset as a leader, as a quarterback, running your offense, especially late in the game when you guys came from behind what was you know what what was it about him? I haven't asked you about a lot of other people, and and I probably should ask you about an offensive lineman. But what is it about Tebow that made him special? So um, I would follow up with uh, two other things I think that the fans, public, you know, should know as well. That the defense completely played out of their mind towards that, you know, when he kind of took over. The 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 thing that. I thought that he had that was, was special. I mean, it was complete chaos until a lot of those games in the fourth quarter where sometimes he just had the, he just had the confidence. And I was in the huddle when he did it because I'd, you know, I'd help him with some of the run checks and stuff. And he would just call his own number or, or he'd just take off and scramble or a lot, you know, just a lot of off schedule things that because of how hard a worker he was, 
like he was going to get it done somehow. Now we yeah. had to be we had to be in games for those to matter. We had to be within striking distance for that to matter. And I think the whole team kind of picked up defense, especially picked up for that. And we played a lot of tight games where we won them late. But the fourth quarter was I think that's where he was special. Was um, it might be chaos, and you know you might be abysmal, like you said, for 58 minutes of a game. And, you know, that's, that's when you count on those playmakers who he, he wasn't your traditional playmaker because it's usually, you know, it's a guy that you throw down to the field or throw two down the field or, you know, for some reason at that point in the game, that's when he became a playmaker. It was, that was, that was kind of consistent, but a lot of it felt like, what is going on here? How are we winning these games? You know, uh, but you kept winning. And it yeah. was it was magic in the fourth because it was it was like watching paint dry for three quarters and then the fourth quarter you just everybody in the stadium everybody sitting on the couch watching the Broncos is anticipating this to happen and yeah. then it would happen. Yep. So it was you know crazy. obviously that's that's you know the guy gained a following so he gained a following in the locker room he's been like all right everyone's gonna buy their time and try to keep this thing close and you know we'll see if. We can get it done in the fourth. So yeah. well, that was cool. Well, Chris, I want to thank you very much for being on today. We talked a lot about a lot of different things. I want to wish you nothing but the best in your coaching career and especially the dad of four and that's a lot of responsibility and you got an awesome wife and so I just want to thank you for being on. Thanks. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pro Mindset. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five stars, of course. You can follow us on our website, promindsetpodcast.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at promindsetpodcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.